0: For me to do so. Before we do that, though, how many of you love your church? Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to talk about that this morning loving our church, loving it to a point of being able to express Christ to those around us. Before we continue, though, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing upon our time together. Father, this morning we thank you, Lord, for your wonderful, wonderful presence. We thank you, Lord, for your love. And all of your wonderful promises. Today, Lord, we anchor our lives in the promises of Almighty God. You, Lord God, we declare are a good God. You love us. You care for us. And Father, I pray for every individual, those who perhaps are visitors here for the very first time, that before they leave this service today, that they will understand and recognize that there will be an impartation of your love into their lives, and there will be no argument that God loves His creation. Father, today I pray that every need that's represented here, though perhaps we may not say anything in this sermon, that may touch their life directly or perhaps address their need. Father, today I pray that as we are worshiping you and being attentive to your word, that Father, you will meet every need in Christ Jesus, and that you, Lord God, will answer questions in our hearts and lives today. Father, we give you praise, and we thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Smile at somebody, would you, and turn and... Greet them, and you may be seated while I get adjusted here. I'm wearing my t-shirt today, and it is somewhat problematic in regards to the microphone, so give me just a moment. Praise the Lord. Well, again, it is a delight and a privilege to be here today and to share the word. Praise the Lord. I may need to take that a little bit further down. Is that where our problem is? Okay. I think we're okay. Praise the Lord. I received a text message this morning from Pastor and Sister Non. And they wanted me to make sure, above all else, that I communicate to you their love and how much they care for you. And they are anxious to return and come home, and we, of course, are anxious to have them back with us again. Our topic this morning is in relationship to the kingdom of God. This month, we're dealing with the topic and, or rather, the important idea of loving our church and how significant and important that is. How many of you know that there's a whole lot of folks who really don't love the church? Amen? And there's a lot of folks, because of activity within their church, find it very difficult to embrace and love the church. I'm thankful that that's not happening here. Amen? And that we're able to love the church, and we're able to love our pastors and our leadership and the people that we partner with on a daily basis. I'm taking from my text this morning, a very familiar portion of Scripture, where Christ speaks to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, verse 3, he says in this very simple verse, Jesus answered and said to him, remember Nicodemus came in the night and asked him a question in regards to, to his ministry. And he says this to Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of god now this is a very important portion of scripture or a very familiar por- portion of scripture and it introduces to the uh, to the man nicodemus the concept of the kingdom of god how many of you know what a kingdom is You have a good concept, you may not be able to give a definition of exactly the words and the Greek terminologies and things along those lines, but most of us have an understanding of what a kingdom is. If you were to look it up in the dictionary, you would probably find two words, and that is a realm or a domain. A realm or a domain. So a kingdom is a realm, it's a domain. You and I are both living, all of us are living in one of two kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. Now, I am assuming because you are here this morning that you are a member of the heavenly kingdom. And that you're living in the kingdom of God, the heavenly kingdom. And all kingdoms have four main characteristics. First of all, they always have a ruler. A ruler rules a kingdom and then they have rulees those who are rule or subjects and then there is the rulership and that's the realm or the domain or the sphere in which that ruler controls and then number 4 are rules guidelines that govern the relationship between the ruler and his subjects now the kingdom of light the kingdom of god is ruled by God Himself. You and I, because of our acceptance of Christ Jesus in our lives, are the rulees. We're His subjects. And I like that concept. I recognize in America that it's not popular to have anyone control us. Or we don't enjoy being ruled over. Amen? Amen. There are other countries today that are stooped in dictatorship. And the rulers that control them are treacherous at best thank god for america and the freedom that we enjoy and then the rulership and this is where it gets really really good because the king of kings and the lord of lords our ruler our god has created all of it that's what he controls he owns it all he controls it all amen All the universes. We spend billions of dollars every year trying to search out and find new universes and and looking into the darkness of space, trying to discover what's really out there. Well, I want you to know today, what's really out there is God Himself. For He has created and made it all. It all belongs to Him, and He rules over all of it. And then there are the rules. God's wonderful principles and concepts. We struggle with this one a little bit, don't we? Those of you who have teenagers in the house, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. in relationship to having a problem with your kingdom, your home. I, as a father, I have a kingdom. It's on Crystal Creek Lane here in Arlington. Small place, but it's mine and I'm the kingdom. Or rather, I am the ruler of it. And no one comes and tells me what I'm going to do in my kingdom. Amen? And certainly not my children. Now, I have one of those wonderful daughters here, and she's saying, oh, really? You know how fathers and daughters are. They can pretty much get their way. The kingdom of God can be defined simply as His agenda through His comprehensive rule over all of creation. His agenda. His agenda. It is sometimes or rather something that God wants to accomplish His way. And we can identify with that because all of us have little areas in our lives where we want to do it our way. Amen? I want you to know that God is going to do it His way. And we kind of have a problem with this sometimes, don't we? The kingdom of God is His rule, His program, His plan, and it includes you and I. Thank God for that. And it is good. I believe it's best said in Jeremiah 29, 11. Again, a familiar portion of Scripture. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's the plan of God. That's part of His kingdom strategy. Part of His agenda is for you and I to understand Him, to know Him, and to be blessed. He is not against us this morning. How many of you know that God is not looking to kick your pockets into the next zip code? Amen? And yet we live our lives as though God is always upset, God is always frustrated, God is always mad at us, and He's looking for an opportunity to do us harm. But Scripture, very plainly, over and over again, helps us to recognize and understand this morning that God is not looking for an advantage over us. He's not looking for an opportunity to do us harm, but He desires to bless us. He desires to make us successful. He desires to give us hope in the future. Oh, that's good news. God's kingdom includes a plan for us. This morning when you received Christ as your Savior, you immediately were moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. At the age of six years old in a little tabernacle... In Grand Prairie, Texas, I could not tell you systematically, I could not lay it out for you what was going on, but something was happening in the life of a little six-year-old at a Pentecostal revival, and I went down, and some dynamic, wonderful things began to take place in my life, and it was initiated when I was six years old. I'm somewhat older now, as you can tell. And in the process of all of that, from that moment as a child, I was moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In a moment's time when I said yes to Christ Jesus, and though I could not tell you the scriptures involved in the Roman road, I could not tell you perhaps all that the preacher was saying that That afternoon or that evening, I knew something dynamic and wonderful was taking place in my life. I've been in that kingdom for a long time. But I've struggled somewhat with the kingdom at different points. Christ, with all that he has provided on the cross. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says it this way. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. God's kingdom. You and I as believers in Christ Jesus, as heirs to the throne, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, children of God, we are part of the kingdom of God. Feels good, huh? Feels good. Oh, what's that got to do with my church? It has to do with your church at every level. And it's because of the kingdom this morning that you and I love our church. Amen. Amen. Amen? Because we love the kingdom and because we love the things of God. Four real quick notes about God's kingdom. First of all, it originates from his realm. It's spiritual John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus answered, speaking to the crowd, my kingdom is not of this world. And the disciples, they wrestled with this all the time. Can you imagine walking with Christ? And all the, almost in every other conversation, you'd hear something along the lines of my kingdom being not of this world. And that's all we need you know I mean we're riding along with Christ and he's performing miracles and he's raising the dead and he's doing all these wonderful things and, and we can buy that we can enjoy that we can tap into that and then all of a sudden he gets spooky on us you know my kingdom is not of this world and the disciples are listening to this on a daily basis they step back and they t- what do he say Let, what's he mean? What is all this kingdom stuff? And Remember the confusion they had because they thought that he was going to establish at that point in their generation, in their day, the kingdom upon earth. And remember the, the fuss and the problem they had. They wanted to be a part of that. Well, who's going to sit on the right? Who's going to sit on the left? I, I like the right. I'm right-handed. And so it just fits me perfectly to, to be here. They struggled understanding and recognizing and, and getting their arms around this kingdom concept was very, very difficult. But the kingdom of God originates from His realm. It's spiritual in nature. It also reflects His sovereignty or His supremacy. Psalms 103, verse 19, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. There is not one area... That God does not bring sovereignty and supremacy over. And you may look at the world and you may say, man, this thing is all out of control. There's nothing but chaos. You may look at your lives and your families and the situation at work or wherever you're involved and wonder, who's in charge? Let me remind you, according to God's word, God is in charge. His declaration is that I've got it all under control. Nothing is taking place that I haven't seen. I'm on it. You can rest this morning with all of your struggles, with all of your problems, with all of the issues that face you when you walk out of these doors, recognize that as a member of the kingdom of God, that God's on it. He's supreme. He's sovereign. And though we may not understand and be able to get our arms around much of it, and though it frustrates us, hope deferred, Scripture says, makes the heart sick. And there are occasions where we simply cannot understand the things of God. Know this that the kingdom of God reflects, it's a reflection of His sovereignty and His power, His supremacy over all things. Scripture, Psalm says, that He is the governor of all. And number three, He operates His kingdom. For his glory. Not mine, not yours. His glory he shares with no one. He operates it for his glory. And fourthly, he operates according to his divine will. You know, there's so much of Scripture that's problematic for me. I wish it was about me. I'm being honest today. I I wish that it was about me. But it's not. The kingdom of God is His agenda being worked out and exacted in, in the world. One of the greatest revelations is when believers come to a point... And become satisfied in understanding that God is God. He knows what He's doing. He does it well. I want so desperately from time to time to twist His arm. My prayers reflect it. Your prayers reflect it. We pray and we ask, Oh God, I know buying that RV was the right thing to do. Please help me pay for it. Amen? If we would take a clear, honest look at the way we live our lives and the way we pray, we would discover that we're somewhat of a selfish lot. And much of our praying has to do with us trying to get God to sign off on our plans and what we're trying to accomplish in life and not hear the voice of God. I, I have this definition that is absolutely etched in my mind, and my sweet wife has heard this definition a million times. One, matter of fact, there's one time she said, Oh, Roger, change the definition, would you? Just reword it. S. Gordon says this in relationship to prayer. That prayer, the purpose of prayer is to discover the will of God in heaven and on earth and demand that it be so. But we don't pray that way, do we? We don't live our lives that way. It is, God, this is really what I want. And it's boistered, unfortunately, by so much of what we see on TV, this mentality of naming it, claiming it, and framing it, of calling your world into existence. Folks, I want you to know that's real close to new age. I'm not interested in calling my world into existence and somehow lining it up with my desires. The purpose of heaven is to conform me to His image. The purpose of heaven is for me to, d- to discover what God has in mind and get on board with what He's doing rather than try to manipulate and twist His arm and use Scripture against Him. Your Word says this, and you need to get on board with me. Amen? Amen. Yes. Praise the Lord. Yes. You, his kingdom can be summed up then, Unlike so many kingdoms on earth, God's kingdom is about its subjects, not about the ruler becoming more powerful. God doesn't struggle with that because he is all powerful. But the beauty of the kingdom of God is that it is for you and I. At the end of the day, when you shake it all out, the kingdom of God is all about people. The kingdom of God reveals his heart towards his children, and the kingdom operates with our involvement. Psalms chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, speaks about that involvement. What is man that you take thought of him, and the Son of Man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you can or rather, and you crown him with glory and majesty. Verse 6, you make him to rule over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. Genesis chapter 1 speaks about how God told Adam to take dominion over that which was in the garden and to manage it. You and I have been called to manage God's stuff. I want to say it again. You and I have been called, given the wonderful privilege and responsibility of managing God's stuff. And all that you've got in your possession is God's stuff. It's given by God. But we Americans struggle with this principle. If you and I this morning were living in Calcutta or Bangladesh, we would not spend much time talking in this realm. Because they have nothing. And you see, when you have nothing, the lure of stuff and the accumulation of wealth is something you really can't get your arms around. There is a problem in America, a problem that we have to wrestle against from time to time. And that's the problem of ownership and management. There is a danger of wanting to be an owner rather than be a steward or a manager of the things of God. And a real problem develops when you and I begin to confuse the real issue. Let me explain it this way. You and I have been called to manage and to build and to promote and advance the kingdom of God. How many of you know this? And it's a good thing. You and I, as we develop and we discover the things of God and we grow in grace and we continue to, to move forward in maturing in Christ, we develop a love and an appreciation for the kingdom concepts and the things of God. But in America, in our wonderful, blessed, wealthy nation, there is a danger whereby we come, and sometimes it's, it, it comes so subtly, We come to a place where no longer are we building the kingdom of God, but we are advancing our own kingdom. And our focus, if we're not careful, is to create the biggest pile that we can. The mentality is created within us. We look around and and everyone is getting Titles to cars and to homes, to land. We buy our TVs, our stereos, our electronics, and so many different things to make our lives more comfortable, to make our kingdom more presentable, to keep up with the Joneses and the Smiths and the Bakers and and all of those around us. We continue to pile it up, and if we're not careful, it becomes something more along the lines of me and mine rather than His kingdom. John the Baptist said it very well when he declared that I must decrease and He must increase. And that is the point of conforming to the things of God is that we are increasing our knowledge and understanding of God and we are decreasing in our own stature and in our own minds. And that is not that we should be abased. And there's nothing wrong with owning cars and homes. But when that becomes our focus... We lose sight of the kingdom, and we lose sight of what God has called us to. It works this way. You build your kingdom, and at some point, because you've taken ownership of your little world, when it collapses and it falls apart, you get to fix it. But when you and I tap into the treasures of God's kingdom and we devote our energy and our time and our efforts to building the kingdom of God, whenever it should have a glitch or a problem, whose kingdom is it? It's His kingdom. Who's going to fix it? He's going to fix it. Because upon this church, I will build, or rather upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But when you and I struggle building our own little pile, creating our own little kingdom, and that becomes the sole focus of what we're all about. Monday morning we arise and we get our clothes on, we put our boots on, and we head off to work so that we can continue to advance our agenda and our efforts. Don't misunderstand me. These areas of our lives are important. They're necessary. But the kingdom of God is more than that. And beloved, I want you to understand today that Christ did not hang on a cross for your 401k plan. He did not hang on the cross for your fine home and your nice car and all the stuff that you can pile into your house. Christ died for you. You're the focus. We come today into this very nice, comfortable facility. So wonderfully decorated today. How beautiful this is. But Christ didn't die for our facility. Oh, we're to operate in excellence in all that we do, whatever your. Your hand findeth to do, do with all of your might, indeed. And so we want the grass to be mowed, and we want the, the hedges to be trimmed, and we want everything to be well and to be clean and, and to be functional because it's the tools that God uses. But Christ has died not for this facility, this property, the 19 acres that we're sitting on. He has died for you and I. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And when you and I somehow lose sight of that, And the purposes of why we're called to the kingdom for such a time as this, then we begin to live our lives in bankruptcy. How do I build the kingdom of God? It's so huge, it's so vast. Almost seven billion people now on planet Earth. Wow. And God knows them all by name. How do we build the kingdom of God? Oh, now we come to this wonderful church issue because the clearest opportunity and avenue for you and I to build the kingdom of God is found and discovered right through the local church. Right here at New Bethel is where I'm able to reach out and touch the lives of hundreds of thousands of people that I could never see otherwise. I recognize that as individuals and as families, all of us are called to the kingdom and at work and places that you go to on a daily basis. You're able to rub shoulders with people and you're able to love them and care for them and lead them into a relationship with Christ. You're able to mentor them outside of the church. But the church allows men and women to come together and to partner and provide a powerful, wonderful, lasting strategy to reach into the lives of those around us. It is the church that God has called and brought to be that you and I might be able to operate and get our arms around the kingdom. The kingdom of God has been described as a lighthouse, as a hospital. So many things that have been labeled in relationship to the church. But the function of the church is to reveal the kingdom of God to a hurting world by proclaiming the kingdom, by expressing and declaring the coming of our Lord and Jesus, by manifesting its principles and living it out on a daily basis through Jesus Christ with His help to those around us. Manifesting its power, workings of the Holy Spirit, and manifesting God's presence. It's painting a portrait, giving those around us a picture of who God really is and how much he desperately desires to have relationship with them. The church is to reveal the plan of God for humanity. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. verse 11. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church is the revelation of who God is. And my friend, if they don't see it through the church and the activity of the church and the lives that are brought together by the church and through the church, they may never see it. And thank God for the efforts. Some of you today have a heart for missions. In just a few months, this church is providing an opportunity to go to the country of Belize. Last year, it was the country of the Philippines where so many were able to go and share and minister and reach out. The church is that avenue whereby you and I can partner together and become vitally significant to those people perhaps we would never otherwise see. And with all of its blemishes and all of its warts and all of its pimples... All of its disappointments and its ability sometimes to really frustrate and disappoint. The church is still God's idea. It was what He declared to be. It is what He constructed. I will build my church. I will build my church. And that is the expression of God's love to the lost and dying humanity. Well, the obvious question then if the kingdom of God is, 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 is where God is operating and his agenda for the world and his creation, and if the church is the expression of that wonderful agenda to those around us, then how can I be involved? Oh, how can I support my church? How can I build the kingdom through my church? This morning we come to celebrate the wonderful God that we serve. In just a couple of months or so, we'll be gathering together on Sunday evenings to build relationships. There we will connect with one another and grow together and, and develop relationship and, and, and get a better understanding of how we can assist and love and care for each other's lives. And then on Wednesday nights, we're cultivating. We're stirring up those principles and those godly concepts within our lives and, helping us to recognize and understand who God is and how we can better serve him. But there's five areas real quickly this morning that I want to touch on in relationship to how you and I can best serve the church, how we can build the kingdom through the church, through the body of Christ, right here at the local assembly. First of all, I want to get this out of the way because it's the most terrible, terrible part of my sermon today. And you will agree when I tell you, number one, The best way to support your church is with your tithe and offering. Isn't it amazing how we tighten up when we hear that particular topic? It's amazing how we become so uncomfortable. And then we roll our eyes and we say, well, here we go again. The preacher is talking about money. I want to read for you Malachi chapter 3 just real quickly here this morning is a very popular, very important portion of Scripture and helps us to get our arms around God's heart in relationship to giving. Chapter 3 of Malachi, verse 8, "...will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you in tithes and offerings?" You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Test me if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. The tithe is the Lord's. That's that one-tenth that pastor mentions from time to time. And let me just say something in, in defense of pastors today. You know, I recognize that... We turn on the TV and we look at Christian broadcasting. We hear the radio and there's always seemingly a pull for money. You get letters in the mail in relationship to somebody wanting your money. Perhaps you get phone calls, somebody wanting your money. Seems like everybody around you wants your money. You get a phone call from the kids, they want your money. Everybody wants your money. And if we're not careful, we begin to look at the church as in the same group wanting our money. And I will tell you, speaking as a pastor, that, that one of the most difficult areas to communicate to the church effectively is in relationship to money because it stirs up so much emotion. Now, what does that tell you in itself? That God has an issue with money? Or we have an issue with money? Why are we so uncomfortable? It's obviously in Scripture. The Bible speaks about giving and sowing and reaping, and these dynamics are very important and very true. I want you to know that the pastor speaks to you in relationship to money because he wants you blessed. Not so that there will be money to pay all the bills necessarily, though that's so important. Not that there will be a bigger pool for salaries. But the reality is, with the understanding of God's word and the principles contained in this wonderful book, we recognize that if we can get individuals to understand this principle and line up in obedience, then they will be blessed. And, folks, when you shake it all out, it never is really about money. When pastors and preachers talk about money, it's not about money, it's about obedience. God wants you blessed. But the Scripture is so very plain. And the Scripture is to you and I, all of us. And this morning I desire not to scold you, but I want to encourage you that you would take a second look at your tithing and your offering. This concept this morning is not a problem with a large percentage of, a, of this world who live in poverty. Somehow everyone again is trying to get money from me. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many graves, Many grieves. I like what Adrian Rogers said. I actually watched this on TV one day when he came and he was taking up an offering at this huge church that he pastored. And he said, when it comes to giving... Some of you will stop at nothing. Money, 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 money. Money. A couple of things I want you to be aware of. God is not broke. And God does not need your money he just doesn't and if by chance we think have deceived ourselves in thinking that God needs our money well, we have really really <laughs> fallen away from the truth of God's wonderful word God's not broke nothing he owns is near break- bankruptcy god is solid and sound today financially. Why? Because he owns it all. The scripture says, on the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns it all. Everything that you and I can imagine, everything we see, everything we touch, he owns. It's his. He's not struggling for money this morning. And so when preachers talk about money, please understand, We understand and know that there are some who, when they speak about money, they're talking about something contrary to God's Word. And you and I need discernment to recognize the difference. But when this pastor speaks about money, he's trying to encourage you to a place of real blessing. Because when you're really blessed, then you're able to do the kingdom work more efficiently. Amen. How many of you know today, if you don't have anywhere or any financial support, if you don't have any financial wherewithal, you're not able to bless those around you. And one of my real desires is not only am I able to bless my family, keep up with all that I must keep up with on a daily basis, but I want to be able to pour in financially to those around me who are really, truly in need. How many of you understand what I'm saying today? And I'm not able to do that if I'm living in poverty myself I don't want people to always be looking to me to to somehow pour into I want to pour out I want to be filled up and poured out to those around us I want you to know this this morning that money is an amplifier I've heard people say well if I'll just get more money if I could just get more money brother Roger then I'll give more no you won't do the math Zero times one thousand. When you bring nothing into the storehouse, beloved, there's nothing to multiply. Zero times one thousand is zero. The power of the little woman with with that little mite who stand in the courthouse or the courtyard giving her a little offering. Christ had been teaching and he was looking at her and he he was moved with compassion. And he commented on her great faith. She gave approximately two cents in the offering. And beside her were people who had great amounts of money. And they came dressed up so nice and so well. And their, their money was all packaged. Perhaps it was even perfumed. Mmm, smell of money. And putting it so, so meticulously and so systematically, stuffing it into the, the offering box so that everybody would see and know how much they gave and oh, how proud they were in relationship to their offerings. And it made the heart of Christ sick. You will not give more when you get more. Money will simply amplify what's already in your heart. And if you desire to give, then you're giving. And you may not be bringing much home, but you may be, you know, years ago, they used to bring chickens and tomatoes and potatoes and and stuff. That's all I got. Great Depression, there wasn't money to give. There were all these little things that we grew in the the garden. Now I don't know about this. I've just heard. <laughs> Grandma and grandpa Money amplifies those things. I want you to also understand and recognize that it all comes from him. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter eight speaks so very plainly, verse 16 that it is He who has given you the ability to get wealth. Your job that God gave you, the strength that God gives you to operate on a daily basis, that gets you up and out of bed and gets you there to work your 8 and 10 hours a day, it's all from Him. And beloved, it comes from Him and it belongs to Him today. It belongs to him today. People have a mentality that this 10%, the tithe, that's God's. And then the 90% is mine. I don't want to hurt you today. I don't want to mess with you. But it's all God's. And I want you to know if you've got a problem with a mere 10th, then you've got a real issue with the other 90%. And I have discovered that most folks who can't let go of 10% can't let go of anything else. You understand what I'm saying? God also calls us to be accountable with the 90%. We were called to be stewards. We were called to manage. There's a wonderful portion of Scripture which gives us a picture of the kingdom where where the manager goes away, or rather the king goes away, and he gives ten minas, which is a hundred days wages, to ten of his servants. And he says, do business until I come. And you and I are doing business until God returns. And it involves our money. And so I, I, I want to encourage you, next time pastor says anything about money, just shout and dance and do cartwheels and... Because He's not trying to hurt you and He's not trying to milk you. He's trying to move you to a place of real growth and understanding the blessings of God. And we can experience those in relationship to our giving. I want to move quickly here this morning. Not accustomed to operating with time constraints quite like I am, I want to move to number two and make mention that another way of supporting the church is through your talents. All of us are so uniquely created before God. Amen? We all have wonderful abilities and talents and things that you and I can do that no one else can provide. How many of you know that? I recognize that there's times we look in the mirror and they say, what are are you good for? What can I do? I know that all of us feel as though what we're doing and what we're involved in, we're not good at. And we feel as though we're a failure. I remember one particular day sitting in the tree stand on opening morning of deer season. This is several years ago. And I began to take an assessment of my life. And I determined that I was a failure as a man, a failure as a husband, a failure as a father, a failure as a pastor. You ever feel the same way? You ever sit down, look in the mirror and say, boy, I am messing up. I am a failure here. I'm a failure there. I haven't done anything right in a long, long time. I'm not doing it well. And because of that, sometimes there's a tendency to say, hey, I don't have anything to contribute. And the reality is this wonderful, beautiful, beautiful church is full of imperfect failures. People who are messing up on a daily basis but picking themselves up and continuing on in the things of God. And folks, that's what we're called to. What we're called to do is not to lay down and to die and to, to give up. But we're called to continue on and to press in. All of us are gifted. All of us today are valuable. All of us are needed. We are all tools in the hands of the Master. Number three is our time. There's a real tendency for us to not be able to manage our time well. This is a problem that I have, is managing my time. But if you can manage your time, it may be the most important, significant thing you manage throughout the day. And there's always someone who owns a little bit of your time. Our children own a little bit of our time. Some of you mothers who got up at 6 a.m. or got up at 2 a.m. in the morning, that little one crying in the dark was owning your time. Are you upset? Not at all. But our time is something that we don't always have the privilege and the opportunity of managing very well. But time is necessary to give to the operation and the ministry in the church. We need people who will give themselves Amen. time. Yes, you, you make time for those things which are valuable, those things which are important to you. You make time for the things that are most significant in your life and there is nothing valuable in life that is sustaining and everlasting that is not carried on the wings of a time investment this morning you've invested time to be here some of you have children in our children's ministry you have youth involved in things going on around here and so you've invested time and it's necessary that you might Allow the church to support you in the development of your children. Time is necessary. And then fourthly is testimony. A definition of testimony is a statement made to establish a fact, an affirmation, or a declaration. And what are the facts this morning? What's the record? Beyond all the smiles as we have prepared ourselves and put on our colognes and and bathed and done all the right things, and as we've walked in and we've said the nice... uh, Christian jargon and we greeted one another and we've smiled and we've done all those things that are necessary. Beyond that, what are we? What's the testimony? What's the record? It was Gandhi who said that this Jesus Christ, I really like, but it's his followers that I don't like. They don't act like him. When I was... After I graduated from Bible college, I went to to be a part of a large church in Modesto, California, and that's where I met my wonderful wife. We were a part of a very large youth group.